Hey there. Thanks for giving me the floor to share some thoughts here from the Bible about uh, some of the key components of Christianity, uh, looking at creation, where we came from, the fall, what went wrong, and restoration and redemption, what, got, what the problems that could solve. So I appreciate you sitting down, uh, maybe on your phone or computer, tuned in this morning, where I get to talk to you um, about what I've been studying and what I've concluded. And it's my prayer and thought that in the midst of this chaos that's around us, that you'll consider um, eternity, maybe for, for the first time in a long time, that you'll think about about things that are after this life. You'll, you'll think about, you know, um, the problems that you just don't have the power to solve. I mean, there are just... There's a laundry list of problems in the world that we look at, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of good things as well, because we serve a good God that loves to create good things. And uh, He doesn't make mistakes, but there's a lot of chaos as well, and that's from sin. And we're going to look at that um, shortly. So, join in for the ride. You ever have those moments where it feels like, God has intentionally given you something really special that he's like, maybe it's a day or maybe it's something small. Um, well, uh, if you've been to my property, you've probably caught just a glimpse of the beauty of the rivers that flow at the end of it and alongside of it. Uh, there, the two rivers are called City Stream and Bulls Brook, and they come together. And one is super warm and one is ice cold. I don't really know why, but they both come from the mountains, um, and they're both pretty darn crystal clear, but uh, they're so unique. They come and mix together um, to form these awesome pools. There's um, large boulders throughout the, throughout the river and a lot of pools to swim in, and uh, there's just beautiful sunny areas where you can lay out, and it's like you're on the most expensive beach in the world because you can hear the, the, the river in the, in the cascading waterfalls next to you and close your eyes and soak in the sun. It is just beautiful and just awesome. Well, my moment has been an extended moment, actually, um, during this COVID-19 shutdown time of the schools. So I've been stuck at home since mid-March uh, by myself and with, with pets, of course, Ruby and Banjo. Ruby's our dog, Banjo's our cat. And, uh, well, you know, I gotta pass the time somehow. I mean, I've been I teach the kids during I've been teaching the kids during uh, the day, and at this point, the school year's over. It just barely ended, and thankfully, my goodness, online learning is no fun. But anyway, um, I would teach lessons to my kids online, my students, and um, and I would go to that river. And the beautiful thing was Vermont Fish and Wildlife who I've definitely fallen, fallen in love with, uh, decided to stock my river with 500 brook trout, which, you know, amazing. Year-old, uh, good-eating size brook trout. And uh, nobody really fishes that river. It's, just, it's basically just me. And so it's basically like someone just said, here you go, here's a bunch of fish, and have at it. Have a great time. And so I have. Um, I've caught numerous trout and uh you know every once in a while i love to you know keep keep some and fry them up in a cast iron pan with 
plenty of garlic and butter and uh oh it's just delicious and beautiful looking fish and i've also for the first time this year uh realized the dream that i've had and i've found my first fiddlehead patch and fiddlehead ferns are edible not all ferns are edible they're baby ferns um that taste somewhere between asparagus and green beans brains green beans i've heard and man i have just been spoiled with these lunches you know i'll teach a lesson catch some trout fry them up for lunch you know get back to teaching oh my goodness just a life just so fun um and i you know it's, i i find it timing you know the timing just it feels like god's been you know giving me that opportunity uh it feels like he's been blessing me with that and uh and it's just a small slice it's just a small slice but i'm here to talk to you today you know go back thousands of years and i want to talk to you about eden the original creation uh by god in its original beautiful pure perfect form and I want to say, my experience just completely pales in comparison to what Adam and Eve had. Let me read to you just this, the, um, the creation account, so you can kind of see how things were set up originally. Now, um, the, way it's, the way it's put, uh, it's really matter-of-fact and really uh, just describes sort of what happened um, in the creation account. So I'm going to go through just the creation and then I'll get into what went wrong and what the big deal with eating fruit was in the first place. And then uh, what, what God did about it to pursue us after we decided to go our own way as humanity. Okay, so if you have a Bible, that would be helpful. Um, I'll probably forget to give you time to look it up, these verses, so I'll read you the verses. But we're in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, so if you want to flip there, it's in the beginning, first book of the Bible, and second chapter. So uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust, the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And the Lord and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasing to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah. Havilah, you know where that is, right? Where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. 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 It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris. Ah, I know that one from teaching uh, ancient history to my sixth graders, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, must, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was, found, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up, up its place with flesh. And the rib that, God, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, this is the creation in its purest form. Creation without sickness, decay, death, no tears, no shame, no guilt. Humanity had a good image of themselves. I mean, like... They weren't afraid of mirrors. They weren't afraid of their reflection. Uh, they didn't need to cover up or, you know, uh, wear sunglasses and uh, makeup and all that stuff. Okay, makeup's fine, but uh, they were happy with themselves and in, and how God created them. Imagine a world that where there is no shame to go about naked. Um, there are no evil thoughts about another person. They would cause you to want to hide from them. And on top of all of that, uh, there's no reason to hide from God. There's no desire to hide from God. In fact, later on in the account, we find God walking in the garden. And it seems to, to suggest that this would be a normal activity of God. So, perfect relationship between uh, people. Perfect relationship with God. This God who is love. Um, so you get that identity. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to go around trying to uh, question who you are. You know. And then there's purpose. And I just love this purpose. I, I, I read through it. And I don't know if you caught it. But the, the, the sole mission of humanity was to work and keep the garden, nature. So there's purpose. So you got to work the land, you know, not for selfish gain or to overwork, right? But tend it, cultivate it, enrich it, and keep the progress that is made. So God created this, this land that, that was good, right? But it could be improved. It could be better. Um, it could be tended and made more beautiful. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve were doing. There was no selfish over-harvesting, but perfect harmony with the cycles of seasonal harvest, I imagine, if they had seasons. 
and not only harmony with nature, but the harmony with, with people, like I said, and with God. Um, now, is this because people are awesome that they are in harmony with nature and following God? No, it doesn't, it doesn't glorify or magnify humanity and say, hey, look at us, we can take care of the things around us. It actually reflects and magnifies the person who created not only mankind, but nature. So there's a little analogy given later in the scriptures that uh, talks about a house that's built. And uh, who actually gets the glory for that house? Does the house get the glory or does the person build it? Hebrews 3 verse 3. Uh, I'm not going to wait too long because not everybody's going to turn there. But Hebrews 3 verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of everything is God. So who gets the glory for everything that's beautiful around us, including people, animals? Okay, maybe not mosquitoes or black flies. They are the nemesis or noceums. You know what those are? If you, if you live in Vermont, then you probably do. Uh, they're like really, 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 really small. You can't see them, but when they bite you, you're kind of like, I don't know. It's like you're on fire. So uh, anyway, they're they're called noceums and where I'm in my neck of the woods. But uh, anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I don't like them. But uh, anyway, God gets the glory. He is, you know, mankind people. I know that uh, everything... If you go back in Genesis 1, it's like God created this, that, the other, and everything was good. And then it said man was very good uh, that they created man, women, man and woman. Uh, we weren't, it sounds like we're the pinnacle, pinnacle there in the garden. Yes, pinnacle of creation, but we aren't the, the, the top. The creator of all of that is the top, gets the most glory. Um, it also is spoken in Isaiah 64, 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. All of us are the work of your hand. Now, the pot can't say, yeah, look at this vessel I have created. Aren't I magnificent for us? For it. Nope. Instead... The pot in all its uniqueness only glorifies the creator. And you know, I've met some people and they are unique, let me tell you, especially, especially around here. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty unique too. And so it was throughout the time of the Garden of Eden, God getting the only glory for everything and man glorifying God and thanking him for all of the good gifts. Imagine, I mean... All the fruit trees in the entire world, probably, you know, in much more variety than we have today, in one garden. God's like, yep, it's all yours. Uh, except, please, don't eat of the tree. That's the boundary of the knowledge of good and evil. And let me just focus on God a little more. Um, in case you think that God's like some, like, here, I will create creation and then I will sit at my drawing table as an ar architect, my drafting table, stowed away in an upper room and uh, scheme and uh, not think about my creation. That's not 
who God is and who God ever was. In fact, he is love. He is love. And uh, love is, is, uh, is not God, right? God is love. Love is not God. We don't worship love as not, you know, our God. Uh, we worship God. And God is defined by love. And, uh, and love, if you took all of the selfless love and all the cool, amazing, beautiful acts that humanity's ever done, put them all together in, in like one box, if that were possible, that would just be a box compared to the mountain of love that God has for us. And that's displayed in, in his closeness to Adam and Eve. It's also displayed in the boundary that he sets. As, as we know, it's a very cruel um, parent that doesn't set any boundaries for their kids, right? As an educator, uh, the parents who set no boundaries, you know, I'm very sad for those kids. The, the fewer the boundaries, the fewer the, the little, the less structure, the less boundaries. You know, I'm very sad. Um, those kids struggle when it comes to uh, learning and working hard and working with others. And, and so God sets a boundary, don't eat of, of one specific tree. And you might wonder, okay, why did he do that? I'm not God. I don't know. I don't know why he, he made one tree, the possibility to sin. Uh, there are many people who have theories and, you know, there's the whole thing about choosing to be in a relationship with God, choosing to come under his uh, rulership, uh, his, in his domain and, and, uh, and not, and not be our own gods and our own definition of morality and you can go on and on and on, but that's not really my focus. God sets a boundary. Okay. So I've talked about the beauty of creation and all oh, you could just keep going on and really daydream about how wonderful and how f fulfilling and how rich that time was. And we, we don't know how many years, uh, I think it was a long time that Adam and Eve were were in the garden together, enjoying God, enjoying each other. But things, uh, if you look around, uh, if you watch the news at all, um, or, you know, talk to a neighbor, uh, talk to relatives, you'll, you'll find very quickly uh, people talking about the fallen world around us, the chaos around us. Uh, that we've created so something went wrong and that's that's what i want to talk to you and, and thanks for again for for giving me the time to get into the scriptures with you and uh yeah it, it can it can feel strange right talking about genesis and i'll be talking about jesus pretty soon here because he came to the rescue and you know it's it sounds strange um these are these are cosmic these are like God stuff can sound strange, um, but I found it to be true, and it's the answer. It is the answer, and ever since putting my trust in Jesus and following him, he's met me. Uh, he's met me where I'm at, and he loves me, and he cares for me, and um, he has been putting me on a path of a rich life, not financially I'm talking about, but richness that he defines. Um, and it's been it's been a good journey like i talked about my in my last sermon about suffering 
yeah, there's been some hard times, but having God with me, God with me, and in a relationship makes it all possible to endure. Okay, all right, all right. Let's get into what's what got screwed up. Okay, the fall account. It looks like I just finished chapter 2, and I'm in chapter 3, uh, verse 1 of Genesis. So you're going to flip back there. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other be beasts of the field, any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Yeesh. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw it, and it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. All right. Sin. Breaking, you know, missing the mark. Breaking outside of the bounds that God has for us. What? was the big deal okay like they eat a they took a bite calm down god uh you know what's your big deal why make it such a big deal because if you've read what happens next you know it's this whole thing and cursing ground and humanity and kicking them out of the garden you know like is god just like justified in this well if you look at some things that were really going on in the heart of adam and eve You'll see just how far they strayed. You know, one, yeah, one, one sin is enough to, um, to remove us from the presence of the Lord. Because he's perfect and holy and just. And his justice demands uh, righteousness. But you'll see, there's a laundry list of sins. And I'm not, maybe not even going to talk about all of them that Adam and Eve committed in this one act, in this one scene. You can see a little summary here later on. Oh boy, it looks like I didn't write uh, the. <laughs> oh, did I write? Did I write the where it's found? Well, you know, with a, with a live stream, you know, you don't get the luxury of uh, quickly googling, especially because I'm, especially because I'm recording this. So you know what? I'm just gonna tell you it's in First John, it's in verse fifteen. And you're just going to have to find the chapter. I, I, I'm going to guess it's chapter 3. But, oh well. So, verse 15 in 1 John. There's your homework. Find out where. He gives a summary of, like, a lot of the ways that uh, we miss the mark today. He, he wrote thousands of years after this bite of the fruit. And he's summarizing, sort of, uh, it, it actually targets... Everything that was committed, all the sins that were committed by Adam and Eve way back in the garden. And I'm going to use it to sort of pull out, like, okay, it was a big deal that they ate the fruit. And there was a lot of missing the mark that, that happened. Okay, this is what they write. John writes in 1 John, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
for all that is in the world. Okay, this is the definition of the world he's talking about. He's not talking about the people. He's talking about these things when he says the world. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. These things is, are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, so I uh, just pull out a couple of things here. Um, go back to Genesis verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will be like God. Okay, and she liked that. Both Adam and Eve liked that notion. This breaks the first commandment, you know, the Ten Commandments, Moses, the tablet, and all that. Breaks the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. There's only one God. They sought to step outside of their bounds of creation and become gods themselves. Uh, they liked the idea, and uh, they broke that commandment. We like the idea too, by the way. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so this is verse 6, she saw it was good for food, her belly, um, and, I, and I just want to tell you, okay, it's nothing against women. Adam's right, right next to her hip, right there, feeling the same emotions. He's, he's right there, he's an accomplice. He is guilty. So she sees uh, that it's good for food, and these, when for, in First John, you know those verses, the desires of the flesh, this is that sin. The flesh wanted what it should not have. It craved what God said was out of bounds. How often do our bodies crave what God has said no to? This breaks the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. She coveted, both Adam and Eve coveted that which was not theirs. They had everything. I mean, they had God himself walking with them, but they still coveted more. I think we're just as guilty, right? Also in verse 6 it says, In that it was a delight to the eyes. So, oh, back to the first John verse, the desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes. So, it's through our eyes. Uh, Proverbs 27.20 20 hits it pretty good here. Death and destruction are never satisfied, right? Destruction is... Everything's being destroyed, really. Even our bodies, as we get closer to dying. Death, it always happens. Uh, they're never satisfied. And neither are the human eyes. True. I find even even on a, a beautiful drive with my wife, friend, uh, out in the Vermont countryside, my eyes just soaking in all the beauty and feeling saturated. You know, it's just never enough. Uh, eyes are never satisfied. And in this case, they're never satisfied with, you know, the, the sinful things they're looking at, right? Uh, so, yeah, that, that's a whole different ball game here. But you can never fill up the eyes with enough sinful images to where they'll be satisfied and how often are we lured into temptations by something that just catches our eye and 
back into Genesis, the tree was desired to make one wise. As I said earlier, the devil earlier as a serpent said, you will be like God. The connection here to that first John account, going back to it in my notes here, the pride of life in verse 16. Seeking to be on the level of God. She took its fruit and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is stealing. It breaks the seventh commandment. The fruit from this tree was not theirs to take. It was forbidden. Now, okay, I know I'm looking at a lot of this sin stuff, and you're like, look, uh, Joe, I have not even, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in his rules. I have uh, not even, you know, like gone on this path. I haven't chosen this Bible to be true. Uh, so, you know, why are you bugging me all, with all this rule-following stuff? In fact, what? You, you just want me to, uh, what, follow all the rules and, and, uh, and I'll be good? You know, never, never look with lust, never be prideful, never steal, never lie, never cheat, not, you know, all these things. Uh, only have one God and, and I'll be good. Uh, well, you know, good luck. <laughs> That'll never happen. And, and I want to tell you that uh, Christianity is not a straitjacket of rules. Uh, I know that from the outside, uh, looking into our, you know, inner circle, and it can look like, okay, these guys, you know, they're all about, you know, not breaking rules and, and that sort of thing. You know, God's laws were, were actually never intended, uh, well, okay, they're, they're good to, to follow. Uh, they make a person's life more full and more rich and more beautiful. If, if I'm not lusting after another woman other than my wife, yeah, my life is going to be a lot better. And my relationship with my wife is going to be a lot better. So these, 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 these expectations, these uh, boundaries that God has set, they're actually very good. They're good. They bring life. Okay? But nobody, nobody, myself included, is able to follow all the rules. Okay? And that's not what it's about. You know, I'm going through this this list of, you know, this. okay, this is my tablet, you know, written, the Ten Commandments. It was intended to show you and me that we cannot make it on our own. We cannot qualify ourselves back into Eden, okay? We can't get to heaven by doing things and following a list of rules, okay? As we'll follow, as we'll find later on, you'll see it's not about keeping the rules, okay? Although when you have been saved, all right, when you, when you go from death that Adam and Eve experienced spiritually to life and you enter in a new relationship with God, you'll find that you want to please him and follow his ways. And you're like, yeah, tell me. <laughs> I do believe that you created me and that you know what's best. So tell me, tell me, what are the, what are the ways that, uh, that I'm going to have the most joy? That I'm gonna I'm gonna bring other people into relationship with you, and I'm gonna make life better for 
humanity. I want to serve humanity, my, my fellow uh, creation, my fellow man, woman, child. <laughs> I want to. I want to see how I can be uh, like you, like you. Not in the sense like Adam and Eve wanted to get up to the status, but I want to impersonate you, God, and how you treat creation. I want to be like that. Let me tell you, self-sacrifice is the name of the game in that one. Alright, tangent. Okay. I gotta get this conversation forward here. And uh, and look at the devastating effects of this choice. So I, I hope I've argued enough that it wasn't just a simple picking of this lovely fruit uh, and eating it. Um, maybe it was a... Uh, maybe they were... Maybe they were uh, Maple syrup apples or something like that. Mm. Well, that wouldn't be bad, would it? No, that'd be good. Uh, maple syrup apples. All right, Vermont stuff. Okay, so the effects of the fall. Verse 7, chapter 3. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The tragic effects of the fall. The tragic effects of sin, of disobeying God's boundaries of going outside of them. What made Adam and Eve cover themselves? I, I don't know of any other creation out there. I don't know of any other, I mean, as far as humanity goes. Why are they covering themselves? They're covering themselves from each other. You know, life partners. I don't know how many years they've been together. They suddenly feel the need to hide themselves from one another. There is so much going on there that we've got to unpack a little bit. There are evil desires that came in Adam's heart, and there are evil desires that came in Eve's heart that made them fearful of each other, that made them self-conscious. The mirror, you know, maybe the reflection in a river, became haunting. And their view of themselves makes them cover themselves up. That's tragic. It was never meant to be that way. And we've been trying to cover ourselves ever since. And rightly so, by the way. I'm not advocating for nudist colonies. Um, and yeah, so, so don't hear that. But in a perfect world, yes, humanity has no shame. We have nothing to hide. But we're not in that perfect world. And we won't be until Jesus comes back. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what I was talking about earlier about God. You know, walking with people. Coming down, spending time with them in the cool of the day in the nice evening time. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now they hide themselves from love itself, from love in the flesh. It's scary how for the first time Adam and Eve don't want to be with God. They can't accept his love. And they have shame. And they have fear. And don't we, and don't we, right? 
don't we when we you know here we have a christian friend you know for example me growing up in the church you know i had i had i had, you know when a christian friend would would post you know a verse on on facebook or something like that me growing up i just I was kind of afraid of that i was kind of ashamed of it and i really just wanted to distance myself from god and you know you probably do too you probably do too and you know maybe when you opened up this video you kind of were like i'm not sure if i want to i i don't know sure if i want this god that uh you're describing joe from the scriptures uh maybe it's maybe it's guilt maybe you think you've done too much wrong um maybe you think that god wouldn't accept you or maybe you're not accepting god maybe there's something about god where you're like your ways are not good your intentions for me are not good you've screwed up this world uh let me give you a news flash here i screwed up the world you know, you screwed up the world. We did. God is love, right? God is peace. God is compassion. God is just. Um, we're the ones who are unjust. We're the ones who are racist. We're the ones who um, seek to, to push people out of the club and uh, and pick our favorites and show favoritism and and do horrible things to those that look different. Yep, that's us. God doesn't do that, and he never will. It goes on in verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? As if he didn't know. And he said, and he said, meaning Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He, meaning God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, I don't know if you can see that. That woman you gave to me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Further effects of the fall. Adam and Eve are afraid of God. Oh. John, I don't even have a... Again, I don't have the chapter or the verse, but that's okay. It's a quote. First John again. <laughs> you, you, some of you who know the Bible well will be like, yeah, it's First John chapter 4 or whatever. Okay. He, write, he would later write thousands of years. He said, perfect love casts out all fear. And when God has made, God's love has been perfected in us, when we've truly accepted it, all fear is cast out. First John says, okay, not a, not a healthy respect of God, right? You know, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? In Proverbs, Brian's like, yeah, Proverbs. Uh, you know, we have a healthy respect for the position of God, and we do not dare put ourselves into the place of defining our, our own morality 
and our own boundaries and trying to be gods. We have a healthy fear of, God, you are much greater than we are. Okay, I'm going off on a tangent here. <sighs> Additionally, do Adam and Eve take any responsibility for their actions? No. Adam, he first blames God and Eve at the same time, and Eve blames the serpent. This is the fall. This is what we get, okay? Such a laundry list of the effects of our sinful choices. Then humanity is cast into the full effects of our sins. Here are the consequences here, and I'm going to read through them. So, and yes, this is, uh, this is pretty serious stuff here. Verse 14 in Genesis 3, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Um, talking about Jesus for right in the future, uh, when Jesus would uh, uh, put an end to the devil at the cost of his own life on earth through the death uh, on, a, on the cross. But he gave his life up. Uh, the plan was right here, right from the start. You know, didn't even finish the scene before God's like, yep, I'm sending my son, and I'm going to fix it by giving myself for you, love, in the flesh. Okay. Uh, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. Result of the fall, right? And Adam said, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and the noceums and the mosquitoes and the black flies and the deer flies and all that fun stuff. By the sweat on your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man, verse 20, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Thus, God, first animal sacrifice, you know, if you know the rest of your Bible, Old Testament. Now, first animal sacrifice, uh, probably, yeah, something innocent, was blood was shed as a result of their sin. And God is the one who clothes them, you know, foreshadowing. Jesus is going to be the sacrifice, and he's going to clothe us with his righteousness, his good works, so we don't have to earn our salvation. Anyway, okay, verse 22. The Lord, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us, like one of us, in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out and take his hand, and take also the tree of life, and eat and live forever, right? Forever! Living forever, separated from God. God did not want that. Therefore the Lord sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden, he placed, Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You know, sometimes... 
in times of peace or plenty, which we are not in, certainly, people have gotten away with the notion that we can, by our own collective strength, get back the slice of Eden. We can get back there. We can make things right. If we just, if we just, if we just. Countless people have tried to break free from society and get back into Eden for which we were created, right? Our hearts long for it because we were meant to be there. But now more than ever, we can see the, how many miles, just how many millions of miles we are away from Eden. In fact, Eden is like some distant fairy tale of the imagination of some distant world. Not somewhere that once existed on Earth. We cannot get back, listen to this, we cannot get back to Eden because we never got ourselves there in the first place. God is responsible for perfection. And only God has the power to restore nature, relationships amongst humans, and the broken relationship between humanity and God. Only one path will lead you back. Only the one who made us has the power to save us. Jesus, known as the second Adam, foretold as the one who would crush the serpent's head in the Genesis fall account, has run out to humanity like the good father, if you know your Bible, maybe if you, even if you don't, you probably heard of the prodigal son. He's like the good father and the prodigal son. He has thrown away all dignity and all he has on the cross to put a family ring on our finger, this finger, and, well, that's marriage, whatever, and a new white robe over us to cover our nakedness. He has, like the good shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep and has become a feast for the wolves that we may not lose our lives eternally for straying out of the protective pen of Eden. John chapter 10. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 10, verse 7 to 18. This was, again, thousands of years later. Jesus on the scene. He's on the earth at this point. He has come to rescue and save humanity and make it very clear how we can get into heaven again with him, enjoying that relationship in our true purpose. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, Jesus talking about. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, the devil, right? described in Genesis in great detail, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Wasn't that his mission when he came to Adam and Eve? He wasn't there to bring them life. He was there to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's been doing that ever since in our lives. I came, Jesus talking, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I, Jesus, am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me 
and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Talking about you and I in the future. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life and take it up again. Right? That's what I was talking about earlier. The wolf comes, and rather than even fighting the wolf off from the sheep, Jesus Christ lays down and offers himself that the wolf may be gorged Eve, on his flesh, uh, offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins, for our straying outside of the pen of safety that God put in place in the garden. It continues, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Next set of verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Paul's writing here. Verse 8, For by grace you, me, all who have come to know Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That pride of life saying like, yeah, I'm my own savior. I'm my own God. I did it. I made it. I'm there. Oh yeah, look at me. Can't boast. It's only through the saving power and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He did all the work on the cross. So yeah, here's a little, here's a little thing that I've written about that. It's not about your strength or ability. It's not about you at all. Not in any way about you. Not in part, not in whole, not by the hair on your chinny-chin-chin, not one iota, not one notion or an inkling, not one fleeting thought, not even a toe in the water, and not a finger, not one slice of the pie, not one tick, not a crumb. It's not a chance about you. Humanity has never and will never be God, the Creator, and will never be able to find their way back into Eden through their works. But we want credit, don't we? I want credit. I know that. I struggle with that. We want it to be about us. That's why many religions have arisen that talk about you can pull yourself up, self-actualization, finding the truth that's just inside of you, becoming enlightened, becoming your own def definers of morality. You can figure out the truth for you and your own path, blah, blah, blah. You can experience nirvana that you have found. It's all about you. And Jesus Christ comes to tell us it's not about you and what you can do or accomplish. Because if it were about you, you would get the glory. And as we've seen in the Genesis account, all glory belongs to God. No glory belongs to creation. All glory belongs to the creator, none to the creation. Okay? If you're reading something that puts the focus on you and like you're super cool and super awesome because all that you've done... It's out of whack. You're super cool and super awesome because of what God has done. He has created you and your coolness and your hipness and your awesomeness. He's responsible for that, not you. Instead, God in his infinite grace and rightful standing as creator continues to take all the glory offering heaven and eternal... And 
eternal restoration to nature, to humanity, and himself as a free gift that cannot be bought. I know, it'd be nice to be able to pull out that Benjamin and just lay it on the table and say, yeah, here's, here's six of them and I want to buy my way in because I'm so rich and special. Can't, can't be borrowed or stolen or even earned. He offers one way. Faith in Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our wrongdoing is the only way. Faith that he rose from the dead and now sits on a throne in heaven. Who has become our chief advocate, our chief pursuer, and the only bridge. I don't know if you can even, I can't, I can't tell if you can even see my hand motions. Hopefully you can, but he's the only bridge there to heaven. The cornerstone of the building without Christ. We have no standing before God. None. No matter how many rules you try to follow, no matter how many rules Joe Carter tries to follow, it does not earn me right standing with God. It's through faith alone, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So, there, there we go. What does it look like to be restored? Am I back in Eden? Like... Here in Woodford, Vermont, you know, trout fishing. No, not quite. Actually, pretty far off the mark here. I can't, right? We're not there yet. Obviously, this world of chaos, this world is falling apart, even though people have been saved and set free and given a new relationship with God and humanity. We're given certain things, and we will have certain things when we see Jesus face to face, and he brings us to himself. Now, what do we have? We have a new family, right? Church family. A new identity, a new father, freedom from sin, freedom from the second death, clothed in righteousness. We're able to see, God, we're able to see through God's word, though it's dimly lit, far away on the horizon, with strained eyes that sure aren't 2020. We're able to see vague notions of God's perfect plan and just, just a little glimpse of his love for us. And what he has planned for those who have chosen to follow him. We can see it in part, right? We don't have the fullness of his love yet. We haven't, we don't understand the depth, the height, the breadth of his love for us and his plan. We, we know some of it. We know enough to save us and, and put us on the right path. But when we see him face to face, we'll be changed. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 is where I'm getting for it. And I'm just going to pull a little snippet and I'm not going to explain it too much because I'm running short on time here. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul writes, For now we see through a glass darkly. We see through a glass darkly. I don't know. Other, version, other uh, versions of scripture say we see through a dim mirror, blurry mirror or something like that. Uh, yeah, we don't quite have the full picture, but we get enough to experience the love of God through... Um, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance that will not fade, which has to be out of this world, right? Because in this world, all good things fade. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and moth and rust destroy the work of our hands. All is vanity because we are not the original creator. God has prepared an eternal place for us, and his dwelling will be with humanity once again in the richness of diversity in every skin, color, dialect, tongue, height, and weight, and stature. And creation will once again, rightly, glorify the Creator, not themselves. As we continue in these bodies, right, of sin and decay, my knee 
31 years old here. You know, it's been a, it's been a good it's been a good ride. You know, I'm a very passionate runner. I run every single day. Maybe take a day off every once in a while. I love it. I do crazy things on my runs. As anybody who's been on a run with me knows, I still wander. I still do crazy, crazy runs and get muddy and get covered in ticks and all that fun stuff. My knee has finally decided to act up. I am experiencing the first, well, not the first, but I'm experiencing some decay here in my knee. My left knee has been acting up some and just, you know, just reminding me that, yep, you know, newsflash, Joe, you know, your your body's not quite perfect, okay? It's it's about there, but it's not quite perfect. Okay, where was I? We're still, we're, we're in these bodies of sin and decay. We're awaiting a future perfection. We marvel, yes, we marvel at the moments that remind us of Eden. They come our way. Even as something as simple as catching a trout in a river. We celebrate when others have victory, and we patiently endure the trials together that are part of this world now. We weep with those who weep, we mourn with those who mourn, we celebrate with those who celebrate. We also strive to be more like Jesus, but only after we've accepted salvation and been saved by grace alone through faith, so that God will be glorified. Please hear me. Don't put your hope in me. I know you all have been putting your hope in me, all right? Don't, don't put your hope in humanity, all right? Anybody else in the church? Any any strong leader out there, don't do it. We can't. I can't bring you back to Eden. As much as that would be cool. We all, myself included, need a doctor. None of us is the general surgeon. I don't know what the hand motion was, but karate chop. None of us is the general surgeon. They chop us up, right? As followers of Jesus, we're all still trainees. We are in medical school full-time. And yes, some of us have graduated classes and are further along in our degree uh, of knowledge of the Bible. And we're, we're further along in our training and looking more like Jesus. Still a great chasm. Even those, those people that are like, your life is just all together and you just never struggle with sin. And you look just so perfect and don't struggle with anything. Well, newsflash, everybody struggles. Um, everybody sins. Nobody has arrived. We're all trained. No matter how we make the outside prettied up and how many fancy suits we wear. This is my fancy suit. Uh, we all stink. Okay? We do. Some of us more than others, right? Sometimes I can stink. Uh, don't put your faith in the medical students. And not, if you do, your faith's going to crumble. Yeah, I've already said that. Only faith in Jesus has endurance for all of eternity. Which is why, time and time again, you find the New Testament calling us to forgive one another in the church as Christ has forgiven us. Not to be easily offended with each other. To live peacefully with one another, if possible, and give grace to each other. However, doesn't let us off the hook and say, okay... Let's just act how we want and treat each other how we want. Once being saved, through the power that God has given us and the Holy Spirit, we try to practice all of the boundaries that he's put in place, all of the boundaries that give us the most freedom, right? 
These boundaries are good for us and they give us good life. John 10, 10, he came to give life and give, give us life abundantly. It gives us abundant life when we follow his ways. Trust me. This means, like Jesus, we lay our down, lives down for our spouse, friends, and enemies. We fight the good fight against all manner of sin and addictions that seek to enslave us. You know, Paul made it pretty clear that he would not be enslaved by anything, and neither should we. Only through the power of the Creator, Jesus, and only for His glory, can we be brought into a right relationship and into heaven. Now I want to end two, with two uh, sets of verses and let them speak for themselves, both in, uh, this is this is the end, okay? Uh, this is like where we're heading to the restoration with, with Jesus in heaven. I've gone through the creation. I've gone through what went wrong. I've gone to our redemption and how God is redeeming. And now the restoration peace. Uh, Revelation chapter 21. Let me just read, and I uh, promise, thanks again for uh, for tuning in, and I'm like, right now, I'm very paranoid. I don't know if my video is recording, so I really just hope it is. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 6. And I saw in heaven, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is like end times, end of the world's happened, uh, everything's crashed and burned, and this is the future. A new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, the writer of this book, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He is now with men. And he will dwell, and women, yeah, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people and God shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be more no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he sat on a throne and said, Behold, I am making, I make all things new. Right? God is the one who gets the glory. He is the only one who can make things new. We cannot. And he said to me, write these words. Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is thirsty of the fountain of water of life freely. Are you thirsty? Do you feel like, okay, eternity? Uh, I'm not sure about it. I know I've got this hunger and this thirst uh, for something more. And what I've done in my life hasn't really worked out yet. And maybe I'll try Jesus. <laughs> we'll just see. He gives freely. He does not hold back. He does not hold your past against you. He says, come, drink from the water of life, which is Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you. And you will be with him for eternity. Finally, Revelation 7, 9 to 12. After this I looked, and behold, and this is this is this is what I love. Uh, I want you to pay attention to the, to the diversity here in heaven, especially during these times where we uh, are not treating our brothers and sisters that uh, look differently from us 
the same uh, with with infinite worth and value like they should. God values. God is not guilty of that. We are guilty of racism. Anyway, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God and Creator forever and ever. Amen.